Hello, and welcome to The Leader Lab, the podcast powered by Life Labs Learning. I'm your host and Life Labs leadership trainer, Vanessa Tunisian. In each episode, my lab mates and I distill our findings into powerful tipping point skills, the smallest changes that tip over to make the biggest impact in the shortest time. Hello, Leader Lab listeners. You are in for a rare treat. That rare treat, as you know, is called our wrap-up, where we have a culminating conversation around the theme that we just went over the last few episodes. This wrap-up is all about influence. Not any kind of influence, but super influence. And I have some of the most influential lab mates here with me today. I have Roble Kurse, Ashley Schwade, and Grace Fisterer to talk all about what it's like to be one of those folks who can impact the behavior of others without relying on authority. So we're gonna be deep diving into this conversation and really walking away with a little bit more nuance, a little bit more color, and a lot more fun. So welcome back to the lab, everyone. Hey, hey, happy to be here. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Thanks, Vanessa. I am so thrilled, and I wasn't lying, to have some of the most influential folks that I have worked with in a long time here with me to talk all things influence. So I want to just dive right in here with my first question. What makes this topic of super influence important to you? And Grace, the baton is yours. Thanks for passing that along, Vanessa. Really excited to run with that baton. So when it comes to super influence, part of why it's so important to me is it really opens the space of possibility. And what I mean by that is as a super influencer, you can have an impact on how folks think, um, on how they feel and also ultimately on what their actions are. And that's important to me because it means that you can link that up to your personal passion, to your personal goal, and really shift the way that folks see things and the way that they behave in not only their work, but in the world. Yeah, I'm already loving that we're bridging this out into the whole wide world here, maybe the whole universe. Ashley, I see a little bit of a smile on your face. What's on your mind? I totally agree with that, Grace. I think that the ability to have an impact is no surprise to folks who know me, something that drives me in the work that I do. And it's something that I think about both at work and outside. If I can be a super influencer, that means that I can create the environment around me that I want to exist in. And that's truly one of the most exciting things for me about this idea of super influence. So powerful, this idea of creation all around and Roble bringing you into hey, the Vanessa, fold here. Can I, can I go next? Vanessa? Yes, you can. Yeah. Tanya did mention making the ask is one of the first things super influencers do. Go ahead, Roble. What's up? <laughs> uh, for me, you know, uh, if, if I expand this topic for a moment, the, what, what really makes super influence important to me is this concept of dependent origination. And this is really a Buddhist philosophy term, just acknowledging how interconnected things are. And I think what we see with super influencers is they're aware that their actions impact others. And when we ask uh, others to do something, you know, that also has an impact on us. And so it's, it's this diverting of maybe like a natural ego and sort of self-serving behaviors to seeing like we are all in this together, which is really what influence is about. Right there with you. I'm already loving the uh, interconnectedness from self all the way up to the universe and each other. Well, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about what we're all dealing with, this new hybrid working environment. And I'm wondering, do you think that the move to remote hybrid 
is going to change what it means to be considered influential. Ash, I, I see that you are ready to go on this one. This is actually something I've been thinking a lot about and how not being co-located or being co-located with some people and not with other people is actually going to impact our ability to be influential and to be super influencers. Influence is so dependent on our relationships. That's what separates it from persuasion, right? And so to effectively be influential, that means that we have to really have strategic relationships with the people around us. And of course, as we're in and entering this hybrid environment, those relationships are shifting. I think a lot of us have noticed this over the last year. And so one of the things that I've actually been thinking about, if I can tell a quick example here, Life Labs is 100 people now, which is very different from where it was when I started. When I started, I only had to be influential with like 12 people, right? It was a whole lot Very different situation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But now we're 100 and we're located all around the country. And so one of the things that I did recently was create this training about microaggressions and microinterventions. And if it were just 12 people, then it would be a little bit easier to get those people on board, to influence them, to want to intervene when something happens. But with 100 people, I don't know everyone's motivations. They don't even know who I am, Mm -hmm. right? And so one of the things that I did was I made sure to share personal examples to be vulnerable and open up with people. Because when I can create that intimacy, it becomes a whole lot easier for me to be influential and for other people to want to follow along with what I'm sharing and what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this idea of vulnerability and intimacy at a distance is probably going to be really important for creating influence moving forward. Uh, Grace, it seemed like you had something to share as well. Yeah. Thanks, Vanessa. I, I love that, Ashley. And that's something that I was thinking about as well is the importance of creating these relationships and of building this sense of trust. Right. And that is so hard to do, not only in a hybrid and remote environment, but also when you're growing and scaling a team and we haven't been in the same physical room as folks at all. And one thing that comes up for me is this concept that we talk about at Life Labs called the mirror exposure effect. And what the research shows around this concept is that there's actually a fear based response when we are exposed to a stimulus one time. And then when we have a repeated exposure, there is more of a familiar quality. All that to say, when we are making deliberate touch points to connect with folks, to build those relationships, to demonstrate curiosity and ask questions, that really goes a long way in linking up to creating those relationships that will help with getting that impact that we're desiring as a super influencer. You know, I want to add a little controversy here. I mean, I think I do agree uh, with a lot of what what Ashley and and Grace shared. And I also want to maybe add a a point of distinction. When I think of super influencers, I think of people that I can drop into any organization, any room, maybe even any Zoom call, and they're still going to be influential. And I think it comes from a place of you know, demonstrating care for other people around us. It takes a variety of different forms. Uh, my suspicion is that, you know, people we identify as being super influencers within five minutes and 30 minutes, they can show you that they're thinking about you as well as thinking about themselves. Uh, and I think that translates to the virtual environment uh, just as well as it does in person. I'm hearing a couple of things in the room right now, and I want to drill down on both of these. So there's the idea of vulnerability, empathy, exposure to others, and the idea of demonstrating care. So I'm curious, what 
has each of you selecting those components that you did. <laughs> so Robley, I'm going to toss it back to you uh, about this idea of just showing up and demonstrating care. How does a person begin to do that? Well, you know, building off of what uh, Ashley was saying, it's about the relationship that you build with people. Uh, but break that down even a little bit further. It's how we relate to each other and, and how I'm showing up for you and how you show up for me in the moment that we're in. Uh, for sure, I can do things uh, like that we talk about in our workshop on leading change, listening tours, right? It's a way of both uh, garnering that mere exposure effect that Grace is talking about. It's an opportunity to understand what's going on more for the other people. When you look on the research on this, uh, Morgan McCall looked at this back in the 80s. Uh, he identified that leading without authority is one of those great developmental experiences. And it's it's there where you learn that people don't just act because they fear you. Right? They, they act because they appreciate you as well. Roble, one thing that you're mentioning, I think that we're all mentioning is kind of the feelings side of this, right? That yes, we're talking exactly. about care and empathy and connection. And I also just want to add another layer onto that because getting people to trust me is different than getting people to want to follow along with me, want to agree with me, right? And the other piece of this, I think that's so important, still falls into relationships, but it's about how can I show people what they need to see? How can I give people the information mm -hmm. they need to not just follow along with me because they like me, but to follow along with me because they believe that my ideas are stellar? To me, that's kind of the intersection of where super influence comes into play. It's part about me but it's also part about the work that I'm putting forward. So I'm hearing lots of different subtexts here. This idea that psychological safety generally has to exist between you and the folks that you're hoping to influence and that we really have to speak to the whole human as much as we can and as much as people are willing to show up in that way for us to be influential in this new style of work that we're moving into, which is super exciting, which leads me to my next question here. What are some of the biggest obstacles that you think will come up for some super influencers right now? And how might we overcome them? I can jump in, Vanessa. So one thing that I am seeing everywhere these days, not, not only with clients, but also internally on the team is burnout, right? And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I bring it up because for super influencers, it poses a real challenge to be deliberate about what the impact that they want to have is, right? Because they've got limited time, they have limited bandwidth and competing priorities to be able to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. So it means they need to be really focused and identify what their goal is before moving into these communications, right? And also creating that space for empathy and for care. So that's one that, that definitely comes up for me. So that reminds me of a few episodes ago, we did a whole series on energy management and how this was so necessary for us to be effective moving forward is truly trying to figure out how we can show up as our best self. Uh, Ash, I noticed you had a, a thought here. What do you have to share? I think Grace is absolutely right. This idea of burnout is so important and is definitely a threat. I also think though, one of the other threats to me is that not to me personally, uh, to the ability to be a super influencer in this work context that we're in is that when people are in times of stress and in times of crisis, we resist change even harder than we would have before because our brain thinks of that change as a grief and as a loss. And we're mm -hmm. losing a whole lot already, right? And so adding something else to that can be really challenging. 
I experienced this recently. My soccer team started practices back up again, and they're at a different location, not far, but a different location than where they used to be. And I had this reaction of like, oh my gosh, how terrible. I can't, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Why would I want to walk to farther to my soccer practice where I run all the time? Yeah, exactly. It's so silly. But because it's just one more change on top of a whole stack of changes, it got me. And when I think about influence, it's this idea of having an impact, of creating change. And so when people are in those times of stress and crisis, we become even more entrenched into our current way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so it takes even more effort to have that impact. So the, the lift, whether it be small or large, still seems heavier when we're under the burden of stress and or burnout. Totally hear that. You know, plus one to, to what you heard from Grace and Ashley, uh, I think stress and burnout can be really uh, strong derailers just to having energy to do anything, right? And so if you're working with a group that doesn't have that energy pre-existing, it presents an additional hurdle. Um, I'll come at it from the, from the side of influencers uh, and people just in leadership positions. You know, there's a variety of ways to earn power inside of an organization. And uh, you know, I, my, my suspicion is most most of our listeners are familiar with them. Uh, pace setting, for example, is one that you often see in engineering. Uh, you know, knowledge uh, is something you often see here in legal departments, uh, and the list kind of goes on. And those often become crutches for trying to leverage sort of that power instead of leveraging influence. And so, I think that that can also present uh, a challenge for folks that are working on building influence they can get frustrated sometimes. It's like, hey, listen, I've already got the most knowledge on this team. Don't you think you should listen to me, right? I'm already moving faster than everybody else. Don't you think you should listen to this idea? Uh, and that only gets you so far. People will listen, but they may not want to act on it. Uh, and that's where I think you keep hearing us talk about demonstrating care and empathy and psychological safety. Uh, it's, those, are, those can become crutches that get used to try to influence people. Uh, but really, it's, uh, it's actually something different, right? It's exerting power over other people. So we've covered some of the obstacles, this idea of cognitive burden, burnout, uh, you know, ego. Ashley, I want to pass it your way. Soccer metaphor. Uh, what are you thinking might be some of the fixes here? Thanks for that perfect assist, Vanessa. I, honestly, <laughs> you heard me talk about this before, and I am still going to go back to it. Doing a gap analysis means that you're putting data to what you want to get done. And for me, when I'm thinking about folks who might not want to change, who might not be interested in my impact, in the influence that I can have, I need to also show up with numbers. And that's one way that I think we can really start to overcome some of the psychological barriers that exist is actually backing up what we want with the data, with the numbers. And so for me, that's one of the biggest ways that I've been working on this is not just relying on people's emotional connection, but also making it impossible for them to say that this is a bad idea because I'm showing both the emotional reason and the logical reason. The one-two punch. I well, not the one-two punch. That's not so influential. The one-two <laughs> hug. Different sports uh, metaphor. Handshake. handshake. One-two handshake. One handshake. Uh, yeah, maybe let's agree that. on that. Um, but really, what's your thought? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I was going in a similar direction. Uh, I think we've talked about vision statements in a previous uh, podcast. Is that true, Vanessa? Do you recall? I don't yeah. think so, but let's roll with it. Uh, okay. Well, you know, uh, vision statements is by far one of my favorite tools that we teach. And uh, they talk about what Ashley's saying here, including a logical appeal 
and an emotional appeal when you're sharing ideas with other people. Now, in the vision statement, we actually suggest before sharing the logic and data appeal, go back and start by sharing with an acknowledgement statement. Uh, Now, an acknowledgement statement is where I think about what your objection might be to my idea before I even share my idea with you, right? Mm -hmm. Then I say that objection out loud before I share with you my data that supports my idea and the emotional appeal that supports my idea. And uh, the reason we do that is, guess what? It's a way of demonstrating understanding and empathy and care and all these other things that we've been talking about. This is the kind of like behavioral unit of, of, of influence, so to speak. Hey, I get it. You're concerned about this thing. You know what? I'm concerned about that thing too. Also, here's some data that suggests we should still go in this direction. Uh, is that a tool you can use standalone? Yes. Uh, are super influencers doing these types of behaviors? Yes. Uh, but the super influencer is doing it because they already care. They kind of do it naturally, right? Uh, so the rest of us, we have to kind of learn from them what are the best ways to demonstrate care. I totally hear that. And I think the the last component of a vision statement, so we have acknowledgement statement, a heart statement, which we talk about appeals to the emotion, head statement, which appeals to that analytical side of the brain. The last portion that I definitely want our listeners to know about is the urgency statement. Why now? Why are we choosing to make the choices that we're making, moving in the direction that we're going in, in this moment in time? And one of the things that I know super influencers do incredibly well is demonstrate that urgency so that way people can, you know, hear them, get behind it, and get on board, you know, which is so, so important to do. Grace, uh, in your world of consulting, this is something that you have to deal with all the time. So can you speak a little bit about urgency and like why that might really be helpful for super influencers in general to get good at communicating. I love that you're naming the piece around both loss aversion and urgency language, because those are things that we see in a lot of organizations. Those are very common tactics. Ultimately, what we want to be doing is creating that sense of momentum. That's something that super influencers do really well, is continue to carry the conversation forward. And I would say that what super influencers do differently is they're moving more towards that needs forward. As you probably remember from our last chat, is a way for folks to move from a space of stuckness to a space of possibility and success by identifying what they want and moving away from what they don't want. And the reason this is important is because, again, we want to get folks out of that negative headspace, out of scare tactics, a space where there's not a lot of psychological safety to a positive environment where we're focusing on what's possible. One thing that I actually want to add to this, when I see the most influential people using these urgency statements well, it's because they're talking about what's the risk of not doing the thing that I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Not just about why we should do it now, but what happens if we don't? So many people are motivated by that risk of what can happen if I don't do this. And so by sharing that, that actually helps people both logically and emotionally get on the same page because they understand why it's so important to do now, but also what happens the longer we wait not doing this thing. Yeah, absolutely. So loss aversion was first identified by Amos Traversky and Daniel Kahneman, one of you know the premier behavioral economists out there. Loss aversion implies that one person who loses $100 will lose more satisfaction than the same person who gains the satisfaction from a $100 windfall. So we just feel the pain of loss way deeper. So circling back on this, we're unearthing so many different things that are important to being an influencer. This idea of communicating both 
heart and head statements, which is life love vernacular that translates to feelings and metrics, as well as acknowledging what a person's dealing with and the urgency of why now. I want to bring this to another place and thinking about this organizationally. What can organizations do to support and cultivate super influencers? It seems like right now we're thinking about super influencers as an individual, which we absolutely are. But as a person who is helping run companies, I want to see more super influencers at my company. What do I do? I can share a couple of quick tips. One is just create opportunities for people to share ideas and solutions, even if they don't have authority or title. Right. So how are we getting people's input? Roble mentioned earlier this idea of listening tours. How are we connecting with people and giving them the opportunity to share a voice? I think one way that we actually do this really well at Life Labs is we have a proposal template where if someone on the team has an idea, they can use this template to create a proposal to make it happen. They don't have to be anyone special. I mean, everyone at Life Labs is special, but they don't have to be in any specific role. Anyone can do this and it can be something small. Like, I think we should change something about one of our meetings, or it can be something large like, hey, I'm Ashley and I want to create a brand new job for myself that hasn't existed before. (laughs) And anyone can do this. Uh, Plus one uh, to what Ashley said. Yeah, creating systems around this goes a long way. I'll shift gears and talk about what individuals can do as well, because we don't have to wait around for companies to make these changes. If you're a leader listening today, often what it looks like is just being quiet right? Not being the first one to speak and let other folks share their thoughts first inside of a meeting. Uh, It also means tapping someone and saying like, hey, we've got a problem here. Are you interested in solving it? Right, Uh, And and not being shy about who you ask to step in to do things. Uh, Again, going back to that research I was referencing earlier by Morgan McCall, these are these early experiences of leading without authority is what teaches us how to navigate these situations in the future. So it's something that we all have to go through. It's almost always going to experience you know, some level of difficulty and pain trying to get something done with no authority. But it's also something that really teaches us how we do work together and how we want to lead in the future. So I really love this idea of being quiet and inviting people into the space. Our identities bring power dynamics into the workplace. And it can be harder for certain people to present ideas to have a voice than it is for others. And so what Roble said of being silent, of inviting people in matters so much to actually create equity in an organization. Well, cool. I'll, I'll jump in. So I have an additional thought that's a little bit of a separate bucket here. Reinforcement and recognition of skills that we want to see folks doing, of skills that super influencers are doing really well. So to go back to that listening tour example, let's say as a super influencer, you notice that somebody has done a listening tour or ask them to share a learning extraction in the next team meeting or in something like Slack. So we want to be helping to reinforce those specific actions and skills that that link up to being super influencers. Oh, can I build on that? I would love to build on that. Thanks, Grace. Uh, You know, often what I see with, uh, you know, in particular early career leaders is they have this sort of leadership development philosophy of, I'm going to become great at everything. And, you know, power to you. If that motivates you, keep doing it for sure. Also, it's not the only school of thought, right? We are going to have gaps in our own leadership ability all of the time. That's my perspective. Why not create some opportunities for other people around you? Notice where people are better than you at certain leadership behaviors and invite them in to do more of that. 
And that creates that space for them to step into these positions where they're going to have to lead without authority. In jazz, they call that comping, where one person influences and compliments somebody's shortcomings. And I want to bring us to extract the learning. So when we extract learning, we really think about what it is that we want to take away and really build into our lives. And my question for all of you is, what is the learning extraction that you hope that listeners take away on their super influencing journey? Ash, why don't you take this one first? Awesome. Thanks, Vanessa. Honestly, I want people to know that you can be influential no matter what position you sit in, who you are. If you see something and you want to make it happen, put in a little bit of effort to building those relationships, to collecting your data and make it happen. I think that so much of influence is believing in yourself. I, uh, I'm i just going to drop into one last story here. A couple episodes ago, Vanessa told me that I was one of the most influential people that she knew. And it actually changed a lot for me because I started believing it even more, right? Oh, so that gosh. mindset of I, I can have influence and I can make an impact, even though I know it's true, just hearing it from someone made me become even more influential because I really trusted in and believed in myself. Oh my gosh. That's how can anyone say anything? I know. I feel. (laughs) 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 And that's influence folks. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I can share a small learning extraction. So for me, it really comes down to the small things with great love, which is a spiritual thing that comes up for me, but it is really about focusing on those one to two most impactful things that you can do as a super influencer and starting there. I think narrowing scope is something that's really helpful. And so really focusing on one to two things that you want to make happen, believing in yourself, as Ashley said, and taking an action, doing the thing and going from there. Doing the thing. That's something definitely that could be on a super influencer tattoo, I'm sure. Roble, take us home. You know, super influencers are up to big, big things, right? They've got a vision for the future that they want to see come to fruition. And they recognize that while it starts with the vision, the very next thing is often the involvement of other people, right? If your idea is so small, you don't need to involve other people. You need to dream bigger, right? And so influence is at the core of creating these visions that we see for the future. And as soon as you've got the vision, then we want to start thinking about the other people around us. What's in it for them? And what's the cost going to be for them as well? And make sure that it's worth it, not just for ourselves, but for everyone that's involved. And if you can share that message effectively, it's only a matter of time until that vision becomes a reality. Fantastic. Roble, Ashley, Grace, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you all so much. And that's a wrap of another episode of The Leader Lab. Make sure to subscribe and share this with at least one other person so we can all be super influencers. It's pretty awesome. The Leader Lab is executive produced and hosted by me, Vanessa Tunisian. Neandra James is our senior producer, and Alana Berman is our director and editor. If you'd like to hang out with us on social, go ahead and find us on LinkedIn at Life Labs Learning and on Twitter at Life Labs Learn. To bring training to your team, head on over to lifelabslearning.com. See you in the lab soon.